Last week we started out talking about uh, covenant relationships and, and the sort of the, the uh, by the way, thanks Mark, the twist on this whole series is this, is that man, we struggle in our relationships so often, don't we? And the reason is that we struggle in our relationships is because we don't live life as God intended us to live. Um, and we went back and we started out and we said this about covenant. The covenant is an agreement between two people, a solemn agreement between two people. And the origin of the word covenant goes back to the word cut, and it means to cut to the point of blood being shed. That's a pretty serious agreement. And we said last week that within the Jewish culture, what would take place is that in the, um, in the making uh, or the cutting of a covenant, they would actually take an animal and they would, they would cut that animal up into pieces and they would put it on the floor and you would, when you were making that covenant, you would walk amongst that, that uh, cut up animal and there in, as you walk through, you would sort of say something along this line, if I'm not faithful to fulfill the covenant that we're in, may what happened to this animal so much happen to me. That's, pretty, that's a pretty serious deal, isn't it? I was sitting around the table with some older guys. I drove up to take my dad out to lunch this past week for his 73rd birthday. And uh, as we were sitting around the table, I asked uh, one of the guys, I said, well, Charlie, tell me how you, how you met dad. And he said, well, believe it or not, he said, your dad and I met over a handshake. And I said, you did? He said, yeah. He said, uh, I owned a construction company in Jacksonville. We were a big construction company. We were needing a lot of dirt. And he said, basically, I met your dad and said, I, I, I need X amount of yards of dirt, which is going to be a tremendous amount of yards of dirt. And we shook hands out in the middle of the field and made an agreement. And he said, uh, he said there were no signed papers. He said there wasn't any lawyers. There wasn't any contracts. It was just an agreement that two men made back 40 years ago over a bunch of dirt and some tractors. And he said that was just the way we used to do it. Whatever happened to those days, guys? Whatever happened to a, a man or a woman being worthy of their word? Whatever happened that, that men of, of God would be worthy of your word? Um, and it was an agreement a serious agreement, a commitment that two people would make. Um, and Jesus himself would show us the importance of covenant when he himself would go into the upper room back 2,000 years ago to celebrate the Passover. And we've talked about this a little bit, especially over the past few weeks, where Jesus would break the bread and he would give the cup as a symbol. And he would say this, he said, this cup represents the covenant of my blood which will be shed for you. And what Jesus was saying is, listen, man, you don't understand the significance of this. He said, but I'm fixing to, to raise the level of commitment of my relationship to you in the next 24 hours to the point that I will even shed my blood for you. That's pretty serious. That's an unbelievable commitment that somebody would make towards us, even if we didn't respond faithfully or not, he would do it. And what we're going to talk about today is we're going to talk about a covenant-type relationship because this is what I know. There's something within us that craves what we're going to talk about today. And you crave it, yet don't necessarily know how to obtain it because this is the truth. Every one of us in here, and we heard this this past Wednesday night, every one of us in here desires to be known to be known for something, right? Every one of us in here desires to be known for something, but more importantly, every one of us in here desires to be known by someone. By someone. 
This is what the author C.S. Lewis said. He said, is any pleasure on earth as great as a circle of Christian friends around the fire? That's an unbelievable picture, isn't it? Mr. Mr. Uh, Jim was talking about pictures. A group of Christian friends, is there any pleasure? Is there anything like a group of Christian friends sitting around the fire? And I think that's the attitude that, that Mark's talking about wanting to create with a group of men talking about Christ. But with that thought in mind, um, there's a question that I want us to ask ourselves today. Is it, is it possible for me to, to raise my level of commitment to those that I call friends? Is it possible? Is it possible that I might be able to raise the level of commitment towards others and in the process learn to love others as Christ intended us to, lo to love? That's a big question. Because we're always expecting that from some. I mean, I'd really like for Bart to love me that way, but I, I'd like to reserve the right to see if Bart's going to love me that way, and then I might in turn love Bart that way. But I want him to start first. I want Bart to be the one that starts the process. I want him to be the one that makes the commitment to, the, to me. And then if he makes that sort of commitment to me, then I might in turn, if I feel like it, make that commitment to him. Churches are filled with people that say they're in love with God, yet struggle in their relationships with other people. That's just the way it is. There are some people that regardless of how good they might be, they're just flat out difficult to get along with. Anybody know anybody like that? There was a guy that wrote a, a book about relationships, and in his book he, he listed several characteristics of people that are, that are hard to get along with. And I'm going to read some of these characteristics to you. And listen, if you happen to know somebody that fits those, that characteristic, what I want you to do is I want you to raise your hand, okay? So I just hope it's not the person that's sitting next to you. But if you happen to know somebody that fits one of these characteristics, I, yeah, if you know somebody that fits one of these characteristics that I'm going to describe for you, and there are more, this is just a, this is just a few. I'm going to give you 12 really quickly. There are more than this. But if you happen to know somebody that fits that characteristic, just sort of raise your hand, okay? Sort of raise your hand. Here they are. And I'll start out. Let's just start out with the easiest one, the gossip. Anybody know anybody that's the gossip? Okay, this is the person that's always looking for the next prayer request, right? The gossip. You don't really want to say anything next to them, around them, because you know that they're just waiting to hear, and as soon as they hear, they're going to go off to somebody else and tell what's going on, okay? Uh, what about this, this characteristic? The cold shoulder. This is the person that regardless of how hard you try, how much you put yourself out on the table, you're never going to get a response back. It's just always going to get a cold shoulder, okay? The competitor. This person's always competing about something. Amy, why are you raising your hand? You seem to be raising your hand on every one of these things. Uh, <laughs> the volcano. Anybody? The vo the, it's the person that you're afraid to really say anything to because if you say something, you never know when she's going to explode or he's going to explode. I said she and he. I said she and he. And all of a sudden you say something and it's like <laughs> the volcanic ash and lava just seems to be spewing all over you. The control freak. The martyr. Always the victim. They're always full of, they're always talking about how bad they've got it and how long they've worked. And if you only knew how much they had given, this person has just given their life. The backstabber. 
they'll tell you something, turn right around and tell somebody else something totally different. You guys are getting into this, aren't you? The steamroller. It's the person that's totally insensitive. And man, something happens and they'll just run right over the top of you and never... It's like a bull in a china shop. The green-eyed monster. The person that's full of greed and envy and the only thing they ever talk about is, is how this person has this and that person has that and, and they don't have it and how bad off they are. What about the wet blanket? Seems like regardless of how great things are going, this person always seems to put a damper on everything. The critic. As a matter of fact, this person you think has a job, for, they're being paid for being a critic, they're so critical. Or the sponge. It just seems to suck the life out of you. Matter of fact, when you get close by, you can feel, you can just feel your energy being sucked out. <laughs> you know, some of you guys have put some faces with these characteristics, haven't you? Uh, how many of you know somebody that would fit into every one of these areas? Raise your hand. See, if you guys knew I was going to talk about this today, you would have obviously said, well, I just wish I'd have known that. If you'd put that on Facebook or on, I would have brought that person because they really need to hear what you're going to talk about today. <laughs> we can laugh, but our world is filled, our churches are filled with all kinds of dysfunctional and hurting people. And the last time I, I, I heard this, and it's true, hurting people hurt. Hurting people hurt people. The last time that you were probably stabbed or you were hurt or, or you were in pain as a result of some comments from somebody else, that prob person probably you may not have recognized it was hurting. And when bombs are being thrown, it doesn't take long for damage to be done and for relationships that wants to be strong and stable to all of a sudden be destroyed. And that's happened in probably every one of our lives. And we live in a culture that says, listen, I'll be your friend. I'll be Tom's friend as long as Tom laughs at my jokes. I'll be the, Tom's friend um, as long as he makes exceptions for me. But as soon as he stops making exceptions for me and loving me for who I am, then I'm out of here. I want to talk to you really quickly and give you three levels of relationships, three levels of friendships. The first level, and you might want to write this down, is a surface surface relationship surface relationship is exactly what it sounds like it's surface it may be somebody you see at the bank it may be somebody you see at the store maybe somebody you see at the doctor's office it's surface you don't, may not know their name you don't know anything about them it's just surface you're driving by you see them you raise a hand that's about it you're driving down the highway but it's just a surface relationship second type of relationship with that which we would call structured relationships. These would be relationships that you happen to encounter on a regular basis. Um, you may have the opportunity to know their name as well as more about them. Um, these can be intentional or they can be unintentional. You don't necessarily know where your child's going to be placed in a classroom on a school campus, but as a result of that structured relationship, something that you didn't necessarily plan out, all of a sudden you're spending time with another family as a result of that, of that um, 
that relationship. You, you go on trips together because your kids go on the same field trips. You may end up on, on the same ball team, and as a result, you, you spend time in the same place. So you may get to know their name. You may get to know a little bit more, of them, uh, more about them as a result of spending that unintentional time. Or it could be intentional structured relationships that you intentionally plan to spend structured time with this person, like in a group life. And you get to know more about them. You get to know their name. You get to know their story. So they, these structured relationships could be unintentional. They just sort of happen, and you get to know one another. Or they could be structured, intentional relationships where you go out of your way to spend time with that person. You know, I like spending time with Stephen Sharon, so I'm going to spend time with Stephen Sharon. I'm going to make an intentional uh, I'm going to make intentional time to spend time with them. I like Dan, so I'm going to call Dan, and Dan and I are going to do something. We're going to go play golf together. So they could be intentional or unintentional, but they're structured. Usually there's a mutual love or purpose for getting together. But then there's the safe and secure relationship. This is a deeper type of friendship, deeper relationship. And it's built on commitment, not necessarily time spent. There are some people that we have in our lives, and you may have them. It'd be somebody that you don't necessarily have to spend time with them to know that they're there. Are you with me? There may be somebody from the past, and as a result, your paths ended up going opposite direction. But if you ever needed to call them, you knew that you could call them, and you knew that they'd be there for you. These are safe. These are secure. One of the reasons they're probably safe and secure is you've probably walked through a time that you've been tested in the past. You've walked through difficulty, and you've learned that you can trust the other person. You, understood, you understand that they're safe. And you've made a decision, a commitment to trust one another. You know that this person is willing to be honest with you even if it hurts. And in the Old Testament, there's a great, um, there's a great illustration of that relationship between Jonathan and David that we see in the book of Samuel. Here's Jonathan, the son of a king who is heir to a throne. And here's David who was a shepherd boy that would end up coming into a relationship and there was a safe and secure relationship that was created and if you want to turn to the Old Testament I want to read a few things for you today we're going to skip around in very few in several different places but in 1 Samuel chapter 18 we find a story about Jonathan and David and just to sort of bring you up to date this is right after David would have killed Goliath he is brought into the home by King Saul and this is where he and Jonathan meet and in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 1, this is what it says, that there was an immediate bond between the two of them. And it goes on to say that Jonathan loved David. Now, some people love to take this out of context and say this is where the Bible supports homosexuality. And guys, that's not true. You know, it's amazing the things that we can take and we can say, we can make it say what we want it to say, but this is not what it's talking about here. As a matter of fact, if you, if you go back and you look at the Hebrew word for love that's being talked about in this passage, it's talking about a love that God had for his children. And the first time we see this in the Old Testament was in Genesis chapter 22, when God had tested Abraham's, um, Abraham's faith. And he had commanded to take the son that he loved and take him up to the mountain and sacrifice him. But it goes on to say in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 2, it says, From that day on, Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return. And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David, a brief, a covenant, a pledge with David because he loved him as he loved himself. And Jonathan sealed that pact. He sealed it 
by the taking off of his robe and giving it to David together with his tunic, his sword, and his belt. And this is what we know about covenants. This is what we know about commitments that they're made and they're established on love. And Jonathan said that he loved David as he loved himself. And what he was actually saying here is, I love him as I love myself. I love him as much as I love my own soul. And Jonathan wanted everybody to know how much he loved David. And he wasn't afraid, it. He wasn't afraid to show and demonstrate that love. Not at all. Matter of fact, what he was doing is he was willing to place his relationship with David above every earthly relationship he had, even his kingship that was his. That's pretty serious. I mean, here's the guy. He's got anything that he wants. It's coming. It's, it's down the line, but, they, but Jonathan says, no. He said, I'm going to tell you what, the, the pact, the solemn agreement that I'm going to make with David, I'm putting this relationship above every other earthly relationship that I have, even the kingship. And in the relationship, Jonathan gives David his robe. And when David accepted the robe, basically, look at what's happening. He is taking Jonathan's robe off and he's putting it on. And it was a symbolism that he was putting on Jonathan. That The two were becoming one. And the robe that Jonathan gave David just wasn't any other robe, but it was a king's robe. And it meant loyalty. And it meant royalty. Here's Jonathan next in line to be the king. But Jonathan lays aside his position and said, I'm going to lay it aside because of my love and my affection to you. He takes and he puts on the robe, which meant that he was taking on the identity of Jonathan. Now, we don't have any account of David going back to Jonathan and giving him anything. But if David were to give Jonathan something, if he were to have given him his robe, what would it have represented? What kind of robe would David would have had? The robe of a sheep herder. Probably something that was stinky. It was nasty. It was dirty. And so the trade just doesn't seem that fair, does it? Here it is, Jonathan giving him something that is, that is a huge asset, yet David has nothing to give. It's worthless. And there's a lot of symbolism here for us as believers because when we come to trust Christ, we put Him on. And Paul said this in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ. How do we become children of God? Through faith. Is it anything that you do? Is it anything that you give? No, it's not anything. But the King has given you something. And it says, we have been united with Christ in baptism, which we saw here a while ago. It says, you've been united with baptism, having put on Christ like putting on new clothes, to take off the old and to put on the new. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22, it says, to throw off the sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, verse 23, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes, putting on the new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy to take off the old to put on the new to take and to put what the king has given us and to use it as ours I mean to trade righteousness for sinfulness that's a pretty good trade don't you think to take off and to put on in addition Jonathan just didn't give him his robe but if we go back to 1 Samuel we find that he also gave him his tunic his sword his bow and his belt as a sign of saying your enemies are now my enemies 
And Paul reminds us of the benefits of being in covenant with God when God gives us the armor and talks about the armor in Ephesians chapter 6. And he gives us that armor so that we can defend ourselves against the strategies of the devil because he wants us to know that we are not fighting alone, but he stands in our corner. And if you talk about David and Jonathan and you talk about the commitment that they had to one another, some people will say that if you're lucky to have three relationships like that in your life where you feel that committed to somebody or you feel that somebody's that committed to you. Some of you are sitting today and you have lots of relationships, but you don't have any relationships that you feel like you can count on. You have lots of people that you have relationships with, people that you have you have met over the years, people that you've hung out, people that you've had lunch with, some that you might even consider to be close friends, but when push comes to shove, you don't have three people in your life that you say that you can turn to in a difficult time. I feel really blessed. Really blessed. Because I feel like I have a whole lot more than three. I remember several years ago, uh, Meredith and I were on our way to do a conference. And I had been invited up to be a part of a conference to talk about community ministry. And Meredith and I are headed all, all the way up. And, and about midway through, the, we were traveling one night, and the car breaks down. And come to find out after a series of, it was an engine issue that was very serious. They were going to have to replace the engine. It was a, uh, it was a manufacturer's a warranty problem. And we didn't know until a little bit later that it was going to take several weeks. And so we had rented a car and we had drove on up and we were going to take some time and just spend some time, but ended up not really being able to do that because of having to get the car fixed. And so I thought, well, after they told me it was going to take so many weeks to fix, I said, well, I'll just tow the car back and I'll have it fixed in, in, the, in, in, in Leesburg. And uh, the guy said, well, he said, I'll just rent a car. He said, well, you're not going to be able to rent a car because they won't let you rent a car and tow another vehicle. Insurance won't let you do that. So I'm like, well, what in the world am I going to do? So I was talking to a friend of mine, and, and, and uh, they said, man, that's not a problem. They said, we'll be up there in just a little bit. I said, what do you mean you'll be up there in a little bit? They said, man, we'll be there. Just, just if you'll give us, he said, I'll borrow a vehicle from my dad. And he said, we'll just head up there. It'll take about nine hours. But they'll just pick up. They're here. They pick up. They take off work. They change and rearrange their schedules and drive all the way up to pick us up. I mean, how many of us have somebody in your life that's like that? Wow. Drop everything they are in the midst of life and say, I'll, I'll just come up there and pick you up. I'm not going to mention that while we were there, they ended up as a man walking into a woman's bathroom, which was really funny, and I still tell that story. <laughs> Matter of fact, that happened to Caleb this past week. You ought to ask him that question. <laughs> Bless his heart. He came back, and he was red in the face, and he was giggling and laughing, and then he wanted to hide up underneath the table, but I... I had to tell him the story about Mr. Steve, and Mr. Steve walked into the woman's bathroom one time in McDonald's. But, uh, you know, it's amazing. Many of us don't have people that we can count on. But when the Bible goes to talk about these type of covenant relationship friendships, there are some scriptures that we find in Proverbs that helps us, that talks to us about and gives us some, some indication of a characteristic of a, what a covenant-type relationship might be inside of a friendship. And I want to share five of these things with you this morning really quickly five characteristics of covenant-type friendship that you find in Scripture. You might want to write this down. Number one, few friends are true friends. Few friends are true friends. As a matter of fact, in Proverbs 18, 24, this is what it says. There are friends who destroy each other, but real friends stick closer than a brother. 
It's better to have one friend, real friend, true friend, than dozens of acquaintances. It's better to have one true friend than dozens of acquaintances. A real friend spends time being interested in you more than trying to get you interested in them. A real friend will call and check on you to see how you're doing. A real friend will drop what they're doing to make sure that you're taken care of. Um, a real friend just doesn't give up when you're going through a difficult time, but they're persistent. But the scripture says that few friends are real friends. Second thing, a real friend will endure. Proverbs 17, 17, a real friend will endure. A friend is always loyal and a brother is born to help in times of need. Genuine friendships are characterized by loyalty, availability, and persistence. Loyalty, availability, and persistence. How many of you in here this past week, if you're truly honest, have had, have had your feelings hurt by somebody? Truly honest, had your feelings hurt. The past two weeks, the past year, some of you guys that aren't raising your hands are probably not telling the truth. It's easy to get our feelings hurt, isn't it? Very easy. Because people don't always respond as we want them to respond. And this is what the Scripture is telling us, a true friend will endure. The third one, a real friend will speak truth. This is the type of person that tells you not necessarily what you want to hear, but what you need to hear. This is somebody that's, that's willing enough to look you in the eye and say, Bill Holt, son, I'm sorry. What are you thinking? You're an idiot. <laughs> now, that's just me and Bill, but I... <laughs> Have you ever had anybody that loved you enough? See, probably if you had somebody that loved you enough to tell you the truth, you probably you ditched them and got rid of them because you didn't want to hear that. <laughs> are you a true friend or are you just a fair-weather friend? But a true friend loves you enough to look in the eye and tell you what you need to hear, not necessarily what you want to hear. They will speak truth in love. This isn't the person that comes over with the hammer and just wears you out. This is somebody that loves you enough, cares enough about you to speak truth. Proverbs 27, 6 says this, and I love this. The wounds of a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. How did Judas approach Jesus? With a kiss. And what would he do a few moments later? He would betray him. Oh, I tell you what, old Bradley's a great guy. He's a great guy. Better watch out. Better watch out. It takes a real friend to love you enough to be anonymous. Enemies can sugarcoat it, can't they? And all the time they're sugarcoating, telling how great you are and wonderful you are. And man, the sun just rises and sets in you. And the whole time it's just destruction's coming. Destruction's coming. Fourth thing, friends refresh us. Friends, refresh us. Proverbs 27, 9. The heartfelt counsel of a friend is as sweet as perfume and incense. There are those people that we love to hang out with because we just walk away going, man, I feel better. As a matter of fact, you'll go way out of your way to spend time with them because you, you, you walk out of that relationship, regardless of whatever it takes you to get to that place, you walk out going, man, ah. I feel so much better being having spent some time with them. 
See, there's, there's two things in reference to relationships. This is what we know. We either spend all of our time thinking about ourselves, or we spend a majority of our time thinking about other people. We will either add value to people or we will suck the energy from them. We will add value to somebody else's life or we'll, we'll lift them up or we'll drag them down. We'll either make a deposit or we'll constantly make withdrawals. There are those people that walk in the room, though, and you see them and you walk to the other side. There are those people that, though, that walk into a room and you can't wait to get over to them because you know that whatever they're going to say, they're going to say something that encourages and refreshes you. Anybody ever got a phone call and you looked at the number and you saw who it was and you put it back down? Anybody ever been in the middle of a meeting, a really important meeting, and somebody called and you saw who it was, and you got up and out of the meeting, you go, can you hold on one second? I'll be right back. And it wasn't your spouse. Why did you do that? To have this type of relationship, we've got to be intentional. Covenant relationships are not built naturally. They're choices. They're commitments. See, it's natural to look after our own needs, isn't it? It's, it's always natural to, to think about myself. It's, it's, na it's not natural to put the needs of others before our own. That's something that only comes from God. That's spiritual. That's spiritual growth. It's not natural to sacrifice time. It's not natural to sacrifice effort and energy. Unless that's the type of person you want to be. It's impossible as a non-believer. The fifth thing I want you to hear that the Bible says about friendships is that a friend sharpens another. A friend sharpens another. Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Let me ask you this question. Who's sharpening you today? I don't have to answer me, but who's sharpening you? And what kind of a relationship are you with that, that, that it's somebody that you're in that relationship, they're sharpening you? You know, Marty, who are you in a relationship with? Are you intentionally pursuing so that you can be sharpened? You know, Mike, the same thing for you. You know, or, or Faye, who's, who, what kind of a relationship are you in so that you're being sharpened? And on the flip side of that, what relationship are you in so that you're helping sharp somebody else? You're sharpening somebody else. See, we should have people that are sharpening us, and we should have relationships that we're in that we're sharpening them. Iron sharpens iron. John Maxwell said this in his uh, 20 fun, 21 Laws of Leadership. There was a law that he came, he said it was a law of magnetism. And what he says is this, we attract who we are, not what we want to be. We attract who we are, not necessarily who we want to be. And a covenant relationship isn't about finding the right person. It's in being the right person. That your mode of operation is about caring for others instead of trying to find others to care about you. It's not about finding somebody and fixing them or getting them to raise their level of commitment. But it all starts with me being the right person. The gardening principle. Every relationship needs cultivation. Every relationship that we experience needs cultivation. 
It takes time. Because the, every relationship that's going to cost us something, that they're going to be committed to, it's going to require time and energy. And let me say this, every relationship will encounter struggles. That's just the way it is. I want to wrap it up by saying two things about friendships and about relationships. Number one, God desires us to have friendships and relationships. If you remember when, when Adam... When God looked on Adam without Eve, he said this, it isn't good for man to be alone. And man, I tell you what, that's so much our desire at Heritage because it's so easy for people to be lonely. And I know, and one of the fears that I have all the time, one of the things that I struggle is because I know that there are people that walk in these doors from time to time and they're lonely and they walk in here and they leave lonely. You know, you talk about Mark and talking about the Andrew team, you can shake a person's hand and still be lonely. What we need is people walking alongside one another. That's a scriptural precedence there. That we'd understand that God didn't intend for us to live in isolation, but in community with one another. And so sometimes we talk about group life or being involved in a group. And listen, I don't see it as a program. What I see group life is I see it as an essential part of, of I see it as a priority. I see it so much as a priority because we need that. We need to be in community with one another. But so many times we fail to do that because it's not a priority. It doesn't fit into our schedule. But we need each other. I heard a story of a senior adult man. I thought, wow, that is so powerful. This man had been married for 60 years. He'd lost his wife. And he went to his children, and they were trying to decide what was going to happen with Dad next because he was way up in years, and, and the family didn't live nearby, but he didn't, want to, he didn't want to move from where he was, and they found out that there was a senior adult living facility that was being made nearby, and it was going to be opening the doors really soon. And so he said, he said this to his children. He said, I don't want to leave. I want to move into that, that home right there. And he said, I want to be the first one. I want to be the first one to move in. And he said, so can we go meet with the managers of that new facility? And they said, well, sure, Dad. And so they went and they told him, and he, he said, listen, I want to be the first person to move in here. And they said, well, sir, why is that so important to you? He said, because there's going to be people that are lonely just like I am. And they're going to be people that have lost their spouses, and they're going to be people. And he said, you know what? When they walk in that door, I want to be the first face that they see to tell them that it's going to be okay and that I'm going to be here. Here's a man way up in years that says, I want other people to know that they're important. And I want other people to know that there's somebody that cares about them. It's not about people coming to us, but it's about us going to them. If you don't have friends, you tell you how to make a friend. You'd be the first person standing at the door on a Sunday morning. You'd be the one there shaking their hands when they walk in the door. If you want a friend... If you say you don't have friends, spend more time thinking about somebody else, learning to be a better friend, than waiting on somebody to be a friend to you. That's tough. That's truth. And if you've been hurt before and you're afraid and you're scared, and you say, I just don't want to go through that being broken again, let me just tell you what, we live in a broken world, guys, and that's just the way it is, and that's just the tension that we're faced with. I'm sorry, but if you're going to be in relationship with people, you are going to be hurt. That's just the truth. But man, when you get in that relationship where you can trust, wow, does it open up all kinds of doors. The second thing that God desires for us is number one, is this. He desires to have a relationship with us. I love this. You talk about pursuing people. 1 John 4.10 says this, God 
This is love, not because we loved first, but because He loved us first and sent His Son to die for us. See, you don't come to God. He comes to you. The only thing you do is have to make a decision of whether or not you're going to respond to Him. Don, He had already pursued you. You didn't have to go looking for Him. He was walking behind you for all these 30 Eight years? He's been pursuing you for 38 years. Patty, the same thing. He's been pursuing you. And saying, I'm here. I'm here. The only thing you have to do is just open the door and be willing to trust. God doesn't wait on us to love Him, but He first loved us. And He went to all extent to demonstrate His love. The only thing we have to do is respond. This is what I want to say today. I'm going to give you something to do. Here's some homework for you this next week. Because I want you to leave with something here that is going to be helpful. So there's a great exercise. I want you to get with somebody this next week. And I want you to ask them this question. What's it like being on the other side of me? What's it like being on the other side of me? What's it, what's it like being my friend? What, what's, it, what's it like? And I want you to be honest with me. And I want you to ask them, how can I be a better friend to you? What is it that I need to do so that you can trust me more? Ask them this question, am I a giver or am I a taker? What is the one thing that I can work on this next week. And I want you to pick somebody outside of your family to ask that question. Because if you're serious about being in a covenant-type relationship and being a better friend and being the, God, the friend that God would have you to be, you need to be asking those questions. And you might be surprised at what you hear. And don't pick somebody that's going to just smile at you and whisper in your ear all these sweet nothings. Pick somebody. See, because... You know, I might want to find somebody i got a great relationship with and just look down and say, Dan, just tell me, tell me, tell me. Get somebody that's going to be honest with you. Be willing to risk a little bit. And then be willing to listen. And I wonder what might take place. See, because God desires that we have these type of relationships, not only with one another. He not only desires that we become a better friend, But he also desires that we would have a relationship with him and understand that he, he is the true friend. Would you bow with me today? Father, thank you for our time together. And Lord, we start looking at that list of characteristics that we talked about up front. (laughs) And the reality is some of us here say, I am so glad that I'm not like any of those characteristics and we totally miss it. Because some of those characteristics are just screaming our name. I pray that we've heard something here in reference to the scriptures and what we discussed that will help us realize not only how much we need relationships with one another, not not only how much we, we need to be a better friend, but Father, how much that you desire to be in relationship with us.
I'm praying today for some relationships that may be broken. There may be some that are here that are, have relationships that are strained, and, and Lord, they need to go and ask for forgiveness. Um, they may need to be, begin praying and, and seeking a way to reconcile those relationships. Um, the blood of Jesus Christ offers the opportunity for us to be able to go and do that, for us to humble ourselves before our brothers and sisters and to ask for forgiveness. So, Father, help us today to take these things that we've talked about and to apply them to our own life, to realize that, um, Father, that uh, you want us to be in that relationship here on earth, but more than anything else, you desire to have that relationship with us. And you went to all extent to make sure that we could have that relationship through by sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross. If there's some here today, Lord, that, that are not in that relationship with you but desire to know you and to follow you, I pray that even after this service they would come directly to me and say, I want to know more about being in a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful for these that came this morning that have came saying, I want everybody to know that I've trusted and that I've followed and I want to follow Jesus um, and I want to live for him. What an unbelievable testimony today that Mike and Don and, and Patty gave of their baptism, of, of them putting on the new clothes of righteousness and getting rid of all that sinfulness that the water of washing away of their sins. Thank you for the symbolism that was experienced. And Father, I'm praying for them and their spiritual growth. Father, thank you for this day and for your word of how it changes our lives, not the stories of men. May even today, for, for some of us that have, have people that we have relationships with that have been a true friend to us, maybe even today we might be prompted to go and call somebody and just say, listen, I want you to know how much of a difference that you've added tremendous value to my life. Maybe even be willing to take that step of boldness today to thank somebody that's been a true friend. This is what I know I desire for Heritage to be. We desire for Heritage to be a place that people would not feel lonely and forgotten. That's tough in a broken world. But Father, I pray that those of us that are, that are here, that know Christ, that we would grow to the place of caring more about others than we do ourselves. Father, I pray that others that see us as we're out in the highways and byways of life, that that would be a great testimony, a light for the nations, that because of what they see in us, that others too may come to know you. That was your desire for your children, that they would become a light, a city on a hill that wouldn't be hidden. But it would draw all people to you. Father, we thank you for this day. We leave here with some things to be done. I pray that those of us that are willing to take that risk would do those things. Maybe we'd be willing this next week to sit down with somebody and just ask them some questions about, are we a giver or are we a taker? What's it like? What's it like hanging out with me? Um, thank you, Father, for the covenant relationship you have with us. Now as we leave to walk out these doors today, Father, may we go out into the highways and the byways, the streets of our communities, our businesses, our homes, to make a difference in the lives of those we come in contact with. In Jesus' name we pray.